Hello and welcome to Balance in Moderation, a podcast dedicated to helping health-conscious individuals elevate their mind, body, and spirit through a compassionate and realistic approach. My name is Sheridan Lee, and in today's episode, Rob and I take on the role of demystifying diet. We discuss what diet actually is, the difference between diet and nutrition, and so much more. We discuss some of the tools that have helped us up-level our nutrition goals and how you can implement small, simple steps to improve your diet in all areas of your life. Just a reminder, while Rob and I are experienced in the world of health and wellness, we are not doctors or nutritionists. So if you have any questions about nutrition in regards to your health status, consult a functional medicine doctor or another integrative health provider. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and share with the people in your life. Big love is our motto, and our message is for everyone. Well, everyone over 18, as some content may be inappropriate for minors. With that being said, I would like to introduce you to Demystifying Diet. Enjoy! Okay. Did you hear the the metronome? That was, was just that? that was just the walk in. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're good. You're good. So, that was like the first time I heard that. I was I'm like, not, oh I'm not no, do- are I we know. gonna hear that the whole episode? No, that no. That is not gonna work for my brain. Yeah, I uh no metronome. I know we talked about that before, but I think we can keep a good cadence on our voices. So cool. so cool, yeah. Cool. So Cher doing well today. Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, I have been making more of a habit to really get myself out of bed in the mornings. I know I've talked about this a couple times on other episodes. And I'm reading this book, Limitless, by Jim Quick. I think you've read some of it, right? It's right there. (laughs) Sweet. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a book that I've kind of picked up on and off, but I'm on the section of motivation, the chapter of purpose, and... Basically, Jim goes in to say, if you don't know why you're doing something, it's going to be really hard to motivate yourself to do something, which intuitively makes a lot of sense, no? Yeah, I mean, you have to change the thought process in your head of, you know, if you're trying to change a habit, if you're trying to be a healthier person, if you don't understand why you're trying to be healthy and really changing your internal dialogue around that, then it's never going to stick. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so he has this exercise in his book, which I think is really lovely, where he goes in and asks people to define their values and find what their core values are and then relate what they're doing or what they want to be doing to those values. So I found that my core three values are balance, uh, <laughs> um, freedom slash self-empowerment, and then also connection. So I wrote out all of these things that I wanted to get done this week that I put in my planner, and one of them is consistently waking up early in the morning. And I'm waking up early in the morning because I value balance and freedom. I value my freedom of time and energy, and when I wake up early in the mornings, I actually have the space to get my day on the right start. I don't feel rushed. I feel so much more balanced and grounded. And I actually have the time to invest in what is of value to me during the day. So now that I know that when I'm waking up in the morning and my alarm clock is going off and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. I think to myself, okay, why am I doing this? It's because I value my time. I value my energy. I value my freedom and I value balance. And that gets me out of bed. Yeah, that is is awesome. You know me, I'm huge on waking up early. I'm actually thinking of waking up about 45 minutes earlier. I've been shooting for 5.15. And I think I might bring that all the way back to 4.30 just because... Oh, you're one of those guys. I, I keep having my workout messed up because my day gets taken away from me and it's not it's fluctuating at the diff- at different times and I'd like to work out later in the afternoon because I've been doing more powerlifting and usually my body's a little bit more awake my joints are kind of warmed up but it's just not fitting into my schedule right now and I have days like yesterday work got away from me everything kind of piled up and then I had like a meeting 
at five and it just I didn't get the workout I wanted. I actually worked out during the meeting, but <laughs> I just that, that's uh, the Robbie Young special. Well, I mean, if they want to do Zoom calls where there's not as much, you don't have to be very active. I figured I might as well do some squats and and some pushups and stuff while I was listening. I was listening pretty intently. So yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, so. Anyways, that's why I would kind of bring it back. But I think what you're kind of breaking down is reminding yourself of why you're doing something and why you're making changes and kind of changing your mentality around it. And something we're talking about today, and we're going to get kind of get started on, and this is definitely going to bleed into a ton of different episodes, but we just want to start touching on it, especially in these beginning episodes where we are making our foundation of what balance and moderation is. And a big thing that we need to find moderation and balance in our lives is our quote unquote diet or really what me and you like to kind of refer to it as is more of just your nutrition and kind of have that view of it. So I know you kind of have some points to make about the difference between diet and nutrition. Can you kind of go into that? Sure. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of get you guys started with a little bit of analogy. I think this is going to make a lot of sense in other people's heads um, and make just the content a little bit more digestible. So first, I want you to think about what is breathing and what is meditation. Everyone on the planet breathes, whether they're aware of it or not, whether they're conscious of it or not. But not everyone engages in meditation. Not everyone engages in breath work. So it's all about that intentionality, that mindfulness. And the same thing is true with diet and nutrition. Everyone has a diet, whether you're consciously aware of it or not. Merriam-Webster actually defines diet as food or drink that's regularly provided or consumed, habitual nourishment, or something provided or experienced repeatedly. So for one thing, nutrition is not just the food and drink you consume, but it's also your music that you engage with, the media that you watch and listen to, the supplements you take or the medications you take, even the kind of environments you find yourself in. That can be another whole uh, conversation on its own about what your diet really is. But I did just want to bring it back to that analogy as far as Everyone has a diet. We all eat, we all drink, we all do things, we're all consuming, whether we're aware of it or not. But the difference with nutrition is that you are being intentional, you are being mindful about what you're putting into your body, both food-related and just your consumption and lifestyle patterns in general. Yeah, I, I think you summed it up well. You know, diet gets a very negative connotation. Mm-hmm. And even if you type it in Google, which, you know, Google has, don't get me started on Google <laughs> and the way they distribute health information, but um, if you type in diet into Google, it comes up with noun. It says the kinds of foods that a, a person, animal, or community habitually eats. But the verb of it is restricting oneself to small amounts or special kinds of food in order to lose weight. Mm. And that is where everything falls off. That's where you get those conversations with people and they're like, hey, what's new? Oh, I'm on this horrible diet where I'm only eating cottage cheese and spinach for <laughs> eight days and then I and then I do a celery. F- and it's... Honestly, that doesn't sound too bad to me, but I know... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you and your cottage cheese. I found this really great brand of cottage cheese that I really like, and it's very yummy. It's called Good Culture. I found it at Publix, if anyone lives in Florida. Publix. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, like you just spoke about, diet doesn't have to be such a negative thing. You know, when you say, I am going on blank diet, I am going on a ketogenic diet, I am going on a vegan diet, I am going on a high-carb diet, whatever it is, vegetarian diet, these can be tools and you can use the word diet as a tool, but it doesn't have to be such a negative a negative thing. And, and that's, you know, we go back to talking about changing your mindset and your mentality and why are you doing something. It is going to be so much harder for you to stick with something if you automatically have a negative thought process when you think of the association of whatever word or whatever you are doing. Mm-hmm. And when we change diet of looking at something that restricts you and change it to more of something that 
gives you more that augments your life that allows you to have more energy, more happiness, more connection, more time. Yeah. And that's something that we've we've kind of had a lot of conversations about just offhand, not even really focused on this podcast, but it's something that I think both you and I are passionate about because we've tried different diets. We what we need and what we eat changes. I'm, you know, and I think you are on the same path as we're continually trying to find what works best for us. And we can't really classify the way we eat as a single diet. Yes, I agree. And I think also something that we have found for ourselves is that our diet or our nutrition changes pretty, pretty frequently. Like I don't hold the same dietary nutrition patterns from January to April to July to November to December, I find myself, I'm a lot more of a seasonal eater. So, you know, I live in Florida, so it gets really hot and balmy here. I love, I love that lush warmth. It's just lights me up inside. Anyways, uh, that's just, (laughs) just me. But when it's really warm outside, especially during the summer months, I'm a lot less prone to eating animal products because I feel like I want to kind of tap into that vibrancy of the elements of the season. And I feel a lot more clear and energetically connected when I'm eating more animal products. I don't, I mean, plant products, my apologies. And I don't uh, explicitly take out a lot of animal products. I just find that naturally I'm not as drawn to them. I'm eating a lot more fish, a lot more leafy greens, a lot more fruit, which there's some parts of the year where I don't really eat any fruit at all. Like right now, I'm eating a lot more animal products. I'm eating a lot more chicken and fish and those really nice healthy fats because that's what my body is wanting. It's wanting more of those warm, savory foods. So you know, being that we're at the end of January, even though it's not that cold outside where we're living, I find myself adopting a more wintry diet because my body knows that it's winter. Yeah. It, I mean, that is just, when you get down to the science of it, when there's more sunlight, you can process carbs a lot easier. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's really cool. So that's why in the summer, it's okay to kind of uptake up the, the carbs and stuff. And honestly, that makes sense because I think if you look at fruits, fruits don't bloom during the during the winter, do they? I mean, I don't, a lot of them don't. Yeah. Some of them do. Like I know oranges are in season right now and some strawberries are in mm-hmm. season. So but that's another thing I've been trying to do is when I go to the store, I try to see what produce is actually supposed to be harvested in bloom right now, basically, because if you're eating something that's out of season, um, it's not going to be the highest quality nutrient wise. It might be somewhat genetically modified, even if it's quote unquote organic, because they're ramping up that natural biological process so that they can have the same food available year round. And I don't think we realize or we've done enough research to see how that affects our physiology. But my hypothesis is that we're not supposed to be eating the same foods year round. I agree with that. I have even noticed lately, it must not be seasons for avocados right now because the avocados I've been buying are trash. Yeah. And and actually we're at the end of avocado season. Avocado season ends in. Okay. I don't know. I've been I've gone to different stores. I don't want to put anybody on blast, but I've been to multiple different supermarkets per se and I've gotten organic and nice avocados and it's like one day they're hard as the rock and the next day they're brown brown inside and it's I can't find that balance, but anyways, we don't need to get on my rant about avocados. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the way our bodies change, our needs are constantly changing for what we need to eat. So to sit there and say and I, I've been guilty of this. I, When I did keto, it was awesome. I felt amazing. I was like, everybody's got to do keto. You got to do keto. And you got to do keto. And you got to do keto. <laughs> All right, Oprah. Yeah. And, and you, I got... You get coconut oil. You get <laughs> coconut oil. You get coconut oil. <laughs> I, I went and I got very dogmatic. And, 
yeah, it worked great for me for three or four months, but then there's been points where I needed more carbs. I couldn't stay on that diet, and my body has changed throughout that time. Do I like a more fat-adapted lifestyle? Do I try to get more fats in my diet? Yes, that generally works better for me, but I don't go into full ketosis now unless I am using it as a tool. But I think that's just an example of just in general, you see a lot of today there's almost like this war going on, this ideological war of what is the best diet. And everybody wants this silver bullet diet that works for everybody. If everybody ate vegan, the world would heal itself and everybody would be happy and joyful. And then the other side, well, if everybody eats vegan, then they're all going to wither away and be frail and and we got to eat meat and produce our, you know, it just gets convoluted. It becomes emotional instead of scientific. And that's a great point. Yeah. And, you know, we can kind of get into this maybe is a good segue to get into a little bit of research we've done on kind of the the faults of modern um, nutrition research. You know, especially it doesn't matter what it is. If you're going into a clinical trial or you're doing an experiment, generally, if you have a hypothesis, you're going to naturally unconsciously find the pieces to make your hypothesis correct. Definitely, definitely. You find that in research in all fields, but you especially find it in the nutrition field. So something that I think is interesting about nutrition studies and the way that we've created nutrition guidelines as a country, as a society, or even for ourselves is through epidemiology studies, which are notoriously very unreliable studies, unfortunately. And I was watching this really great YouTuber. He's called What I've Learned. And he had this episode about why is nutrition science so effing hard. I highly recommend everybody watch it. It's really, really good. He had another one that I watched with um, where he... Uh, reviewed one of the Joe Rogans with Dr. Joel Kahn, who's a holistic cardiologist. He's a 42-year vegan. And he had Chris Kresser on at the same time, who's got his master's of science. He is like the head of the Cal Center of Functional Medicine. He's an ex-vegan and a current omnivore. He's a little bit more paleo. So watching that conversation too was also really cool. And they were talking about some of the pros and cons of epidemiology studies. For one thing, 80% of our nutrition advice in our country is based on epidemiology studies. Just keep that in the back of your head. So epidemiology studies are where we separate populations into variable groups to determine conclusions about what nutrition or dietary habits work or do not work for us as a whole. The central problem with this is that it assumes one diet for everyone, and then another issue is that it only looks at components of the diet rather than the whole picture. So let's say, for example, we're talking about red meat. So people who are eating red meat, we find that, you know, by by tracking these populations of people that do eat red meat regularly versus people who don't, they have higher levels of LDL, they're more prone to cardiovascular disease, yada, yada, yada. But looking at these epidemiology studies, they're only looking at red meat as a factor for these other biomarkers. They're not also looking at whether this person smokes, whether they drink, whether they're sedentary, and what kind of foods they also pair with red meat. And it's known that if you pair vegetables with red meat, it actually um, has the opposite effect of what we can find with some of these inflammatory pathways. It actually is a um, almost anti-inflammatory or at least uh, regulatory. It's able to regulate the uh, inflammation in the body to the level where you're able to function at an optimal level. That aside... But they're not accounting for all of these variables. And just like Robbie and I were talking about before the podcast, what is the kind of red meat that most people are consuming? Burgers. Yes, exactly. And, you know, 
there's something that I want to touch on later in the conversation about how good habits breed good habits and bad habits also breed more bad habits. So if you're, you know, eating a lot of heavy, greasy, fat food, fast foods, it might not be the red meat in that burger that is causing your LDLs to go up and put you at risk for cardiovascular disease, but it might be the way that the food is cooked. It might be the way that it's prepared. It might be other health and lifestyle factors that are thrown into it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of foods that have gotten a really bad rap because they are a component of an unhealthy lifestyle versus looking at the whole picture. Yeah. And just a point with the burgers, that really is a a big example, something I always use to explain the faults in, in epidemiology. And you think, okay, this person's consuming red meat five times a week and they have horrible biomarkers. But well, how do you all, you always eat a burger between two pieces of bread. And I don't know when the last time I had a burger and I didn't have fries with it, which are cooked in vegetable oil, fried in vegetable oils. And there is a correlation between, it, I always kind of talk about diet in a way of you got, you know, your three macros and you only want to pair two at a time. Generally, you want to put protein, either protein with fat or you want to put protein with carbs. You don't really want to mix the carbs and the fat. You don't oh. want to have that insulin. You don't want to have that insulin spike. You don't want to have that that mechanism that tells your body that needs to store energy while you're also consuming fat, which is very calorically dense. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of a little side note. But we kind of talk about the epidemiology study and one other one, which I think was in the video you were just talking about, and we would we'll share that on mm-hmm. on the Instagram. But they looked at one of the studies that determined eggs were bad because mm-hmm. certain people, if you ate more than one egg a day, this certain subsect of women cr- uh, had certain you know, chronic disease. But that same group of women also smoked, had much higher rates of smoking, and that also depends. Some people, two eggs is their breakfast. Sometimes it's two eggs and a couple people's pieces of toast. Sometimes it's two eggs and three pancakes. Sometimes and- it's a Danny, Denny's Grand Slam. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly <laughs> you know? from the video. So I think that's good. And just epidemiology in general, everybody needs to take something with a grain of salt. And the thing is why vegan, I think, gets such a good rap is generally people that are vegan, they has this notion of being a healthy diet. And like you were saying before, if you're making, in your head, you're making healthy choices in your diet, you might be exercising a little more. You might be getting a little more sunlight. You might be worried about your sleep a little bit. You may not be smoking. So there's a lot of factors that go into your health that the nutrition field really, I don't think intentionally ignores, but if data goes with your hypothesis, a lot of times we put those blinders up and we're not looking at the full picture. Exactly, exactly. And even I think the people who are at the forefront of the nutrition field are so much more well-versed than we were 20, 30, 50 years ago. But even today, like I said, I was watching that recap of the Joe Rogan with Dr. Khan and Dr. Kresser who have different opinions on diet and they both specialize in nutrition. Dr. Khan thinks that saturated fats are really bad for you. And Dr. Er, Chris is not a doctor, but he's got his master's. Chris it thinks that saturated fat isn't bad for you. And he actually presented all of these studies to Dr. Khan about, you know, how there actually wasn't a relation to saturated fat intake and biomarkers of cardiovascular disease. And Joe Rogan was really pushing Dr. Khan to address this, these studies and this information. And it took him almost like 15 times of asking for him to actually address the question. So even just going back to what you said, even people who are in this field and they do this for a living are really hesitant to look at information that goes against what they believe. Yeah. And for, for me personally, I kind of saw that from the outside looking in, I've had my, you know, Previously, I stated my times in my li- or times in my life when I was very dogmatic about that. And what I've come to realize is stepping back. There's nothing that there's not a one size fits all. And 
I have tried to almost take more of a step back from nutrition and not really look as deep into it as I used to because the deeper you go, there's so many different tangents and pathways and various parts of the science that one, I don't have the knowledge that I think a lot of people, even so quote-unquote experts, don't have the knowledge of. And it's really hard and it's almost become diet has become more of an intuitive thing for me than a logical thing anymore. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that. But I think you're right. I mean, you know, you talked about saturated fats and I think something in in the video we keep referencing, they talk about is a lot of the negativity we have around fat is based on, uh, mice studies Mm -hmm. and mice from a metabolic, like mice, obviously, you know, people get mad about animal testing and I kind of come from the medical community where it's, we're changing a lot of people's lives, but we had to do a lot of animal tests to get to that point where we had to change lives and you really can't jump into clinical three and four, you know, get that data without first proving it through the efficacy of animals. Don't want to get into that too much. But anyways, when we're looking at the way rats metabolize fat, for instance, ketosis, it takes rats a diet of 95% fat to actually get into ketosis. Which with humans, it's much different. It's about 60% of your diet needs to be fat to get into ketosis. So that's just another glaring thing that we kind of choose to forget. We get this data from these rat studies, and it's like, oh, fat is bad. But then what kind of rats were used? You know, what was, like we just said, there's always different variables. You have to kind of take into account everything. It's a holistic, it's not a one-size-fits-all issue that we're trying to solve. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it sounds like we're talking a lot about fat and it's not to say that we're taking away from, you know, the fruits and the vegetables. Um, I do have a note on fruit about how you don't actually want to consume too much of it unless you are eating it during those spring summery months when it's actually in season because the main sugar if not the only sugar that's present in most fruits is fructose or fructose. Um, And it's a lot different than glucose. So fructose is 100% metabolized by the liver versus alcohol, which is, I think it's 80% metabolized by the liver and glucose is 20% metabolized by the liver. And you think about all of these people who struggle with liver issues, with cirrhosis, or just having a really hard um, time with their metabolic health relating to the liver because of alcohol consumption. But, you know, there's even these people who engage in fruititarian diets that only eat fruit. And while I think fruit has a lot of benefits, there's so many phytonutrients, so many vitamins that I do think it's important to have a colorful plate. If all you're eating is fruit, you're putting so much strain on your liver that it might actually be doing more harm than good. Yeah, you got to have moderation with fruit. And especially for the fact that we've been genetically modifying fruit, whether it's quote unquote GMO or organic, it doesn't matter. The The sugar content in a banana today is different than the sugar content in a banana 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's drastically different. And we have to be mindful of that. Just like you were saying, Cher, I enjoy fruit at times. If anything, fruit has become more of the dessert for me. I My body processes fruit a lot better than it processes ice cream. So instead of getting ice cream now, I'll go get an acai bowl or I will... Do, you know, try to get some more fruits in my diet instead of going and killing a pint of Pen and Jerry's. And that Mm -hmm. works better. But if I was eating that amount of fruit every day, for instance, from a physiology standpoint, you're going to gain weight. Oh, yeah. When you're cutting, like in times in my life, you know, kind of taking a more bodybuilder approach, bodybuilders will refer to fruit as nature's candy. And it's high sugar and people, a lot of people will do that. They'll be like, I've been eating healthy and I'm gaining weight. I'm not losing weight. And it's like, well, what are you eating healthy? Well, I had a glass of orange juice with some bananas in the morning. And then for lunch, I ate this and then I had a bunch of strawberries after. And then for dinner, I ate this and this. And then I had a ton of, and it's a lot of fruit is in the diet. And it seems to be a pretty common denominator with people that think they're eating healthy and are not seeing results, so they revert back to other ways, or they're like, diet doesn't eat healthy for me, or my metabolism is just bad. 
And so I think it's good to have this conversation around fruit and understand that just as it does have good benefits, it can be very, it can be abused very easily. And we really have to be mindful about the sugar content in fruit. Mm-hmm. And I always try to opt for low glycemic index fruits. Fruit, um, fruits like berries are great. Uh, they don't spike your insulin level as much. And so I opt to do a lot of berry and avocado smoothies. I do like bananas. I like the consistency and the creaminess of bananas in my smoothies, but I've actually been switching to avocados to get a little bit more of that fat content, a little less sugar. And by adding the avocado in with the berries, I'm still getting that those really nice antioxidants, those phytonutrients. I am getting a little bit of an energy boost with that glucose, but I'm not spiking my sugar so much that I'm going to get a crash later in the day. Yeah, I like berries moderately during a ketogenic diet, especially if you are very active on a ketogenic diet. You could eat a pretty decent, like you can eat about a half a cup of berries and probably still stay in ketosis if you time it right and you eat it after your workout. But just kind of going, being aware of the glycemic index and the way food affects you is is very important. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in, in future episodes. But I think the main focus of this episode is just kind of demystifying diet and nutrition a little bit and understanding too that it's not one size fits all. There are people that eat fruit and they process it very well and their body reacts great to it. And then there's other people where if I eat a couple of bananas, I'm going to get really sluggish. I like bananas, but I get I notice that I get sluggish after I eat bananas. And that's just because I get a high sugar and then I crash. And my body, as far as what I know right now, works very well on a lower carb, lower sugar diet. And but that's not the same for everybody. You may be different, Cher. And also that may change in a few months, depending on my stress levels and how much sunlight there is. So I don't know if you want to kind of conclude, I guess, just talking about sugars and fruits and things like that. I don't know if you have anything else to put on this specific topic, but I would just say it kind of goes back into everything we're about with this podcast and that Everything is bad if you use too much of it, and there's good qualities to a lot of things, even things that we quote-unquote view as negative. There may be benefits in other parts of it just because it may be bad for your health doesn't mean it's bad for your social life, you know, like, like drinking. Drinking is bad for you. It doesn't matter if it's one drink. It doesn't matter if it's five drinks. It's bad for you, but a couple drinks with your friends, opening up, sharing, feeling human connection that brings a lot of benefits. It brings down a lot of barriers. It creates more connections. Mm -hmm. And I think when we just kind of go into whether it's eating fats, whether eating, eating carbs, you know, there's, you find balance and moderation with it and you'll find health. Exactly, exactly. And something that I really wanted to just touch on and ask the listeners is just to consider what are your values and is what you're eating in accordance to your values. So, Let's just say, for an example, the average American values convenience. And this is the reason why you purchase and consume fast foods after your long shift at work. A lot of people live this life. Um, And we value convenience because it, in theory, provides us freedom of our time and energy. So makes perfect sense. If you don't have to spend time cooking for yourself, you have more room for activities like cleaning the house, getting that workout in, spending more time with your family. Maybe you catch up on some sleep and engage in other self-care activities when you get home after your day. But let's take it one step further and see what actually happens when you get home and eat that high-fat, high-sugar, high-salt, processed fast food meal. You start to feel sluggish. You start to feel heavy, a little run down. Maybe the effects of your day start hitting you. Maybe you didn't have a great day at work and now you've got this physical heaviness accompanying the emotional heaviness. And so you pour yourself a glass of wine or grab yourself a beer. You sit on the couch and you watch TV until it's past your bedtime. And now you're going to bed feeling anxious, overstimulated, malnourished, 
Um, I know malnourished is a little bit of an exaggeration, but for a lot of people, a lot of people have nutritional deficiencies, even here in America. It's not a third world problem. Uh, that aside, I wanted to kind of bring to light this example because this action of buying fast food didn't actually provide you any more freedom than you originally had or wanted. It actually stripped you of the time and energy that you wanted in the first place. So this is why being intentional of what we consume is so important because like we were alluding to earlier, one healthy habit breeds other healthy habits. And as you can see by my example, the opposite is also very true. Definitely. I mean, for me, going back to when I was at a much more, I didn't have as much understanding of my diet and where it was going. It didn't matter whether I was trying to eat healthy or not. If I had a donut in the morning, I wasn't going to eat a healthy lunch and I wasn't going to eat a healthy dinner. And I probably was going to skip my workout that day. And was it, you know, I think there's part of it, like you were saying, there's, there's definitely a physical part of it. You get this big energy dump, you crash, it screws up your body, but then mentally you've already kind of set the tone for the day that my health is not a priority. I, you, I don't, I mean, you succumbed to the pressures of eating a poor diet and it takes away from your life. I love the example of the fast food because that's what you hear constantly. People either are trying to save time or save money with fast food. And I think if you really look at it and break it down, you're not saving that much time because, okay, say... On your way home from work, you got to stop by, you stop by McDonald's to grab something. Well, it takes about, maybe it's five, 10 minutes out of the way. Then it takes 10, 15 minutes to get through the line, order, and then you got to drive home, you, you drive home and, you know, it probably adds, maybe it took you about 30 minutes total to consume the meal. Whereas maybe it would take you 45 minutes to consume a meal by getting home throwing some chicken in a skillet, cooking it with some good fats, and maybe sautéing some veggies, popping a uh, potato in the oven, or doing something like that, getting some more whole foods. Maybe it takes you 30 minutes to cook, 15 minutes to eat, 15 minutes to clean. So that's 30 minutes extra of your time. But one, cooking in, its, in a way is meditative. It is something that can almost kind of take you out of your day, kind of be a pattern interrupt. You can listen to music, listen to a podcast, make it like an, us. Exactly. <laughs> make it an enjoyable experience. And like you said, it 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 sets the tone. If you eat a healthy meal, you're going to sleep better that night. You're probably going to be more productive. Uh, if I eat a healthy meal, it's a lot easier for me to sit down and read, work on this podcast, maybe catch up on some work I didn't do. But if I eat a bad meal, if I go grab Taco Bell or something like that, I don't get anything done that night. And I guess I think the point of what you're trying to make with this example is we got to kind of get out of our head that eating healthy is so much extra steps that it's going to take away from our lives. And we have to start understanding that there's a reason why super high performers eat healthy diets. I think we like to think that these CEOs, we think of like CEOs as these big, fat, horrible, greasy people that are unproductive and have horrible, miserable lives. A lot of times, those people that are high productive in their professional life are high productive in their personal life, in their health, in their fitness, because it's a culmination of everything. It's a culmination of actions. If you're healthy with your nutrition, you're going to probably be healthier with your relationships. If you're healthier with your relationships, you're going to probably be healthier with your work schedule, with your physical physical relationship with your body. It's a process that once you kind of get on the get the wheels turning of health, it affects your life in so many other ways. So you usually see high achieving people are eating healthy and it's a direct relationship. They eat healthier and they're more productive and they're more productive because they eat healthier and it makes them want to eat healthier and, you know, kind of go down that rabbit hole of health. So I think as the example is great of getting fast food after work. It's something that I used to do a lot and it's easy. And it's, as a culture, we have normalized it and we've almost made it seem... It's, it's become acceptable, and it is acceptable. Everybody has different stresses, and I don't know what people are going through, and sometimes it's really hard to get up off the couch and cook a meal. But at some point, you got to put your foot down, and you got to start taking responsibility for your health, and I think one of the fastest ways to do that is to start changing what you eat. 
Totally, totally. Thank you for, for all of that, Robbie. Um, and I will be the first person to admit that I do not like spending a lot of time cooking. I am like, I love food and I love nutrition, but I'm not into cooking all that much. And I love Taco Bell. I'm so happy they're bringing back the potato tacos. Like, that is something that I am thrilled about in 2021. So, again, it is that conversation of balance and moderation of, you know, kind of like we were alluding to earlier, you don't have to spend a ton of time or a ton of energy to eat healthy you know, if you get in the habit of finding a couple meals that are really easy for you to cook and eat, it makes it so much easier for me. I really like doing an omelet in the morning with some mushrooms, some spinach, and some feta or goat cheese. Um, for lunch, it kind of varies. Sometimes I do some some rice and beans. Sometimes I do a salad. Sometimes I do a sandwich. And um, just having those foods around the house it makes my life so much easier and it only takes me about 10, 15 minutes for each meal that I'm cooking because I value my time and I'm not somebody who wants to spend an hour cooking a dish. So I don't find recipes that take an hour to cook. But another thing that we were kind of talking about is what we would like to refer to in the psychology field as the what the hell effect. So you were talking about you know, having a donut in the morning and then it kind of throws off the rest of your day. It's that cycle you feel when you indulge, you regret what you've done, and then you keep going back for more. It, our brains rationalize this behavior by saying like, well, I already blew my goal, so I might as well keep going. Oh, I already broke my goal of not eating cookies today, so I'm going to eat the whole pan that I cooked for my grandma. <laughs> but how do we overcome this what the hell effect is actually through self-compassion. There's a study called Promoting Self-Compassionate Attitudes Towards Eating Among Restrictive and Guilty Eaters. It was published by the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology. It compared college-age women who um, were not actively restricting their eating, but you know, a portion of them were interested in dieting and losing weight. And they there was three groups. One of them was a control group and they all received the same preload. And so there was one group that was given compassionate self-talk, a message before being given the food. And then another group was not given any compassion. They, it was just kind of like a neutral. It was just neutral in general. And they were each given... I think it was like a milkshake. And then an hour later, they were all given options of candy. And the researcher said, okay, you can eat as much candy as you want. The group that received a self-compassionate message of, hey, this is just something that we provide in the study. Everyone eats this. Don't feel bad about it. You know, this is not something that you do all of the time. And if you're trying to maintain a healthy diet, you're going to be able to go back to it really easily. Just messages of like self-confidence and self-compassion and self-love. And then the other group was just like, here's your milkshake, wait here and I'll get your questionnaire. That was pretty much it. The people who were given messages of self-compassion actually ate less candy than the group that was not given anything because the component of self-compassion allows you to kind of turn off that guilt and that pathway in your brain so that you don't feel almost like that compulsion to continue to engage in those unhealthy habits, which was just really fascinating. Sometimes I think we think, oh, if we're really kind on ourselves, we're going to be a lot more likely to you know, keep engaging in unhealthy behaviors, but actually the opposite is true, according to the study. And I would love to kind of see how this plays out in my own life. I found that I, by being a lot more compassionate to myself, while I'm trying to make a lifestyle change, maybe I have a little bit of sugar at night, maybe I sleep in a little bit, I think to myself, okay, this doesn't define you. Don't beat yourself up about this. Just remember why you're doing this in the first place. And then I have a good day and it doesn't mess up my flow. 
it doesn't take me off the off the horse, you know? Yeah, I think for me, just kind of creating a, a hypothesis around that whole study, it would, to me, it would seem that through these affirmations and being nice about it and understanding and compassionate through through this, it allowed them. They the 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 study showed that though that group ate less, and I would think that might have to do with cortisol levels. If you get mad at yourself, if you get down on yourself, it's going to re- increase your stress, which increases cravings for things like sugar. So if you got to keep your cortisol levels low you're going to have less cravings. So I think, like you said, I mean, I did kind of go on a little tangent and I got a little bro Robbie, like suck it up and get it done. But I, I, <laughs> that's I, part of your magic, Rob. Don't, don't depreciate yourself. Well, I think part of compassion for yourself is having the hard conversations with yourself and telling yourself, okay, I screwed up. I ate these two and you know what? That was a, that was a, that was a fuck up on my part, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stop it right here, and I'm gonna continue forward. Forgive myself and move on. And sometimes that's the harder conversation to have with yourself and kind of get that talk track. But everything we're about here is kind of a compassionate approach to things. And you know, sometimes it's nice to eat some ice cream. Sometimes it's nice to eat a cookie, and you don't want to beat yourself up. And I think a, another study. It's funny. It was with milkshakes. I looked up when I, I was doing a lot of research on the placebo effect one time, mm-hmm. and that it was. The certain biomarkers they gave they gave a, a, a two different groups the same milkshake. It was like a heavy loaded milkshake, and then the next week they they were supposed to be getting a diet milkshake. One of the groups actually got the the diet milkshake, and the other group got the same milkshake from before that had like a ton of calories and sugar. But everybody thought they were eating healthier. And it's funny is that the placebo effect, they had similar biomarkers after that. So just having a more positive approach to things and just having that mindset when we talk about your values of eating healthy, even if you think you're eating healthy, sometimes it helps you a little bit and has a placebo effect. So our mind over matter kind of happens a lot, even with nutrition. And I think you're right. I think we need to be compassionate about that. We are constantly inundated with different cues to make us eat more, make us consume more. We see commercials and we talk about that as a diet, as a whole of what you're consuming. Watch the commercials you're watching. Figure out what shows you're, what cues are being put in these shows. What ideas are you getting that maybe aren't your own, that maybe are pushed on you from society or social groups. And understand that if you do eat bad, you're not a bad person. Like Mm -hmm. just as if you are in credit card debt, you're not a bad person. If you, you know, are, oh, student, there's, everybody has their things. And if your thing is you eat bad and you're overweight or something like that, that doesn't make you a bad person. And it also doesn't mean you can't get out of that. It doesn't matter where you're at in your journey. If you can finally find that compassion in yourself to make a change and care about yourself, it's going to reap benefits. Beautiful, Robbie. Beautiful. I think that was just lovely. And I think if you're ready, I'll kind of wrap up the conversation. Let's do it. Let's try to make the wrap up not 20 minutes like the last (laughs) couple times. All right. Go ahead, Cher. Awesome. Awesome. So just kind of, you know, going off of what Robbie said, if you do want to change what you eat, how you eat, or even how you feel about eating, it's great to try to change other parts of your diet first. And when I'm talking about diet, I'm talking about your lifestyle, your social habits, your consumption patterns. So in my experience, consuming self-help and empowering media like podcasts or following really inspiring people on Instagram or listening to positive, lighthearted music, it really inspires me to adopt healthier habits in my life like waking up early, eating more whole foods, exercising, and moving my body regularly. But if I'm constantly consuming the news or violence or depressing media, I'm going to grab that bottle of wine and eat some cake because of the what the hell effect. I'm already primed for those unhealthy behaviors because mentally it's affecting, you know, my physical actions. So you can almost kind of bioengineer your mindset by saying, I'm going to stop consuming 
what is making me sad or depressed. Or, and it's not to say that you're going to step away from society or you're going to not be informed or anything like that. But just making a conscious effort to be like, hey, I'm going to put more positive inputs into my system so that I can have more positive outputs. And there's so many ways that you can do that. If nutrition is something that's challenging for you, that's totally okay. It's challenging for everybody. I mean, Robbie and I talk about this all the time. Even though this is something we value, it is challenging for us too. So start small. Start by just you know, listening to our podcast, getting inspired, listen to more inspiring media. And I think you guys will find that you're naturally going to adopt healthier changes, not just in your diet and your nutrition, but your lifestyle in general. I love it. I don't really have much to add. I would say what stop watching crazy, stressful, depressing shit on, on Netflix. I think yeah. we become kind of addicted to that. And we talk about cortisol levels. If you get stressed out from some movie or documentary about murdering people you just watched and you're probably going to eat bad after that or make poor health habits because your cortisol levels are all out of whack. That's just one glaring thing I've noticed that when I watch negative things on TV, it is a lot harder for me to stick to my my goals. Mm -hmm. And anyways, I don't want to go on that too much. You just wrapped it up beautifully. Remember, if you guys have any questions on this stuff, need help, I am at Wellness Rob. Share is at The Soul and Science on Instagram. You can also email us at balance.moderation at gmail.com. Again, that's balance.moderation at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please share it with somebody you care about. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe, rate, review, depending on whatever, whatever broadcast or streaming system you go through apple rate and review just subscribe on spotify that helps us a ton i love you all big love is the mood as always share do you have anything else follow us at the bam podcast on instagram we will be updating you guys about when all of our episodes are launching they do launch every wednesday so you can rely on that but we're going to start incorporating more content to go along with the episodes you guys can even get to know us off the air a little bit better we'll do some q a stuff we're going to start try to incorporate some more ways to engage with you guys so if you really love with us and you vibe with what we're doing give us a follow and we'll be friends so yeah but thank you robbie for this awesome conversation i'm sheridan and i'm rob and we're out Hey everyone, Rob here. Really appreciate you listening to our episode. Just real quick, this podcast is for information and inspiration purposes only. Any personal opinions or views do not replace medical advice. Balance and Moderation recommend all listeners embarking on their wellness journey to do so under appropriate supervision by a healthcare provider. Thanks.